We live in a time of tremendous opportunity for innovators, entrepreneurs, and those with skill and imagination. But it seems at every turn, there are forces that slow us down or get us off track. I believe you can trigger your independence and lead a flourishing life, be free to choose, and live according to your own values. Join us in a conversation about big ideas in life, liberty, and the pursuit of your happiness. Welcome to the John Riley Project. Thanks for joining us. It's uh, episode number 246 of the John Riley Project. It's a podcast all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And today we're going to talk about seven lessons that I learned as an entrepreneur. And, you know, I've, I've had my ups and downs as a business owner, and I just kind of want to share some words of wisdom. So if you are considering starting a business or maybe you already have your own business, I, I think some of these nuggets I'll share in today's podcast could be very valuable. So all consistent with me trying to, you know, provide meaningful content that's important to people that can help hopefully improve your life. So that's what we're going to get into today. Seven lessons I learned as an entrepreneur. So, you know, we're, we're live streaming on YouTube and on Facebook. So we welcome all your thoughts and comments. Feel free to type them in. Um, already on the live stream, Mike Ryan joining us. Hey, John. Hey, Mike. How are you? Good to see you. Um, thanks for joining us today. So Mike and I, we got to share some time over the weekend at his daughter's graduation. We were over at the Hop Stop in Poway. It's a pretty cool spot. Uh, we really enjoyed it. So thanks, Mike, for inviting my wife and I to that event. That was wonderful. And best wishes to your daughter as she moves on to college. So good, good stuff. So thanks, Mike. Um, so yeah, we, we welcome your thoughts and comments. Now, today is a big day for me personally, and that's why I'm want to get into this topic of the seven lessons I've learned as an entrepreneur. Today is June 23rd. And I always remember June 23rd because this was the day 17 years ago that I was officially on my own as a self-employed person. And I remember that day very clearly. I mean, I, I had been working in the computer industry for a long time. And I was working in the marketing services industry and I was in middle management for a corporation and I was kind of restless. I wasn't very happy. I um, had a bunch of moonlighting gigs and that had grown and grown and grown to the point where I could start my own business. Um, and it was something, it was a goal of mine. It was something I really wanted to do and getting myself, you know, sort of mentally ready to make that leap that was a big deal for me at the time. And I remember when I left the, my company I was working for, my last day was a Friday and I enjoyed the weekend. And I remember it was Monday, it was June 23rd, 2004. And that's the day that I showed up to my new job working for myself with just me, a computer and a phone. And that was it. And I had built my own office in the garage. We had a three-car garage at the time, and I had converted the third garage into a really, actually a really cool studio slash um, office with, you know, we had built walls and carpeting and lighting and really set it up quite nice as a, you know, to convert that third garage. But I showed up, I remember I walked downstairs from my house, walked into the, into the garage, into the office, and I remember sitting there and I took a moment, I really reflected on it saying, wow, here we are. I've taken the leap. 
There's no turning back now. And so I, I just, it just really sticks with me. I always remember June 23rd because of that day. And, and here we are. So 17 years I've been in business. And I'll tell you what, um, I've had my ups and downs. I'm, I'm really proud of what I've accomplished. I'm, I'm a better person. Uh, for being my own business owner. Um, I'm a better person. I've grown so much personally, professionally. Um, my skill sets have grown. My, I, I'm, a, I'm a much more capable, well-rounded person as a result of this process. But it's also part of just you know, naturally becoming more mature. Um, but I mean, I had through this process, the unique and special capability of having huge control over my work-life balance. I was able to set my own hours. I didn't have to show up to work every morning at eight and leave at five or whatever the hours are for the place where you work. I could come and go as I pleased. I was only accountable really to myself and then ultimately to my family. So if I wanted to show up for work a little bit later or I wanted to take a day off, I could do that. This was really important because you know, 17 years ago, my children were quite young. My children at the time, I think, were six and four years old. This gave me an opportunity as a dad to be very involved in doing a lot of things with my kids. I was able to coach their baseball and basketball teams. I was able to participate with them in school activities because I had that flexibility in my schedule. And I'm I'm just overjoyed that I had that opportunity because I know a lot of families don't. A lot of parents are pulled away by their career job and they don't have that flexibility. So a huge benefit of being a self-employed is definitely having that control over your own schedule. And I think it made me a better parent as a result. Um, But there is no question that owning your own business is, for me at least, it was by far the most challenging thing I've ever done in my career. It's it's hard work, but if if you're passionate about it, if you're if you love the labor of it, it's extraordinarily rewarding. And it's so fulfilling because when you have success, you know that you played a massive role in that success. But being a business owner, you've got to do everything. Um, you, you're responsible for, for sales and marketing, and you're responsible for operations and finance, and you're responsible for every aspect of your business. And, you know, when you're working for a company, you, you have a job, you have a specific scope of authority. And well, as a business owner, you have to put your fingers in every aspect of the business, which is wonderful if you want to learn and grow, but it can be overwhelming. Um, and there are ups there, you know, upsides and downsides to a lot of this stuff. So, um, you know, I funded my business on a shoestring. I, I didn't have big investors. I, I started my business um, ulti- originally as a moonlighting gig that just kept growing and growing and growing. So I, I basically started my own business on a shoestring and no outside investors. I just essentially took my own skill set and then monetized it. I took my own skill set and rather than offering my services as an employee through a company, I offered my same services to other companies directly, um, which gives me greater financial reward, but I had to take on a lot more financial risk to do it. But the end result is, is that it's been terrific. Now, 17 years I've been in business and that's a long time. Uh, You know, this is an interesting stat where according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, about 20% of U.S. small businesses fail 
within the first year. By the end of their fifth year, roughly 50% have faltered. And after 10 years, only around a third of businesses have survived. And surprisingly, business failure rates are fairly consistent. And this is, um, this is from an article, well, it's an article from LendingTree, right, which one of the one of the uh, financial services companies, but this data is from the U.S. Department or U.S. Bureau of uh, Labor Statistics. But the article went on to say was interesting is that the, this these ratios are relatively consistent over time, but they noticed during the Great Recession, businesses with five or less employees were the ones that really got damaged the most. I was in that world and I went through that and survived it. But you know, my business. You know, I'm going to get to my seven key lessons here in a moment. But my business, when I started, it had a, a number of phases. And like in 1999, I started the moonlighting gig. In 2004, I, I launched my business on my own in my garage, hired my first employee, moved out of the out of the garage and got actual office space. And then from 05 to 07, my business grew significantly. We added employees. We added a larger office. I had signed leases for more equipment to do some of the production work for my company. Um, and the business was really growing. Uh, but then 2008 hit, Great Recession. I got punched in the nose as a result of that. And, you know, there was a big crash. My business imploded. I downsized um, and just really focused on surviving through that process. I had lost customers. I had customers that didn't pay me. I had contracts that evaporated, contracts that shrunk. Um, it was a very, very difficult time. And so like from 08 to about 2010, 2011 was almost sort of like survival mode. And then coming out of that um, it was a time when I was able to complete the leases on a lot of different things that I had made financial commitments to. And I actually then moved my business back into my house in 2010, I think. And then during the next, you know, three or four years, it was a little bit of like um, Noah or not Noah, like Moses and the Israelites wandering in the desert. Um, I was you know, trying to find something new to grab a hold of. I had tried different things in my business with, you know, varying, varying degrees of success. And, and candidly, I'm looking back on it, I was probably a little bit depressed then too. And I remember that was kind of a difficult time for me, but I was just so focused on not giving up. I was so focused on staying the course and I knew that I had the capability to be successful, but it was just so tough. But I eventually, my business began to shift again, probably in about 2014 is when I began taking on a lot more consultancy work. And that actually kind of counterbalanced with a lot of the products and services that I sold. And as a result, you know, my business is much more healthy, a lot more streamlined. It's more efficient and ultimately more profitable. And I'm better off for it now. But during that whole process, I've learned a ton. I mean, just a ton as I've gone through this. And so when I decided to come up with this podcast episode, I said to myself, yeah, it's June 23rd. This is the day I started when I was 100% self-employed. The moonlighting gig was no longer nights and weekends. It was now my day job, too. And so I, I jotted down these seven, uh, these seven ideas. And by no means are these the seven things everyone needs to know. But they're the seven things that were important to me. Um, there were the seven things that I think if I had to go back in time and give myself some advice, these are the things I would have told myself. 
And the first one is, is you have to focus on yourself first. You come first. And I know that sounds kind of like a, a very fundamental, very basic thing, but I noticed that when I started my business and I was, I was building it, I found that I was so focused on serving the needs of my customers, which is important, I lost sight of serving myself. Um, I lost sight of doing what was really in the best interest of my business. Um, I, I remember in the early stages of my business, I took on a lot of clients that really I should never have taken on. They were either really small clients that paid very little and were generally a pain in the ass, or I had other other clients that were either friends or people I knew in my community that they needed some help and I had the skills to help them. But it was more like um, that I was doing them a favor, you know, rather than they weren't the typical client that I was really going after. But I was there. They needed help. I was getting started. And I remember I, I spent a lot of time with those kinds of customers and I began to lose focus on what was important to me. Um, you know, if you if you don't if you don't have a firm conviction of what you need and what your vision is, and you stay the course to that vision, it's easy to get pulled off track. It's easy to be guilted into doing things just to help those that need that need help. But if it doesn't serve your needs, you have to learn to say no. And that was one of the things that I talked about in one of my Johnny's lessons for life was the power of the word no. You have to really be selective in the kinds of clients you take on, the employees you hire, the projects that you work on, so that you ensure that it really does serve you first. Now, granted, I understand you've got to service your clients, and if you don't service your clients, you can't serve your needs uh, in the first place. But it's got to be win-win, right? Not lose-win or win-lose. Um, you have to win and your customer has to win. But most importantly, you have to win. Um, so that's key. Um, you come first. Focus on yourself first. Um, the second piece of advice that I would have given myself if I had to go back into Mr. Peabody's Wayback Machine um, would be to continuously innovate. Always be innovating. And, um, and especially as new technology is coming out, embrace the technology and always be trying to get ahead of the curve on that technology. Um, because if you are behind, you end up getting steamrolled and passed by. Um, I mean, in, in many ways, it's good conceptually, even if you're a one-man business, is to have sort of a laboratory or the idea of a laboratory where you're experimenting. You're not working on things for your customers. You may not even really be working on your business itself, but you're in a, you spend a certain fraction of your time in a laboratory. It could be at your same desk, but working on innovation, working on new ideas, working on educating yourself and becoming better, but always looking for ways to push yourself and to stay ahead of the curve, to always be learning and always be innovating. Um, you know, I, I, I know for me, back in the mid 2000s, I really put a big push in my business to put my business online. And 
allowing customers to buy products and services, you know, in an e-commerce environment. And I remember going through that process and I felt good that I was, I was being innovative. I was embracing technology, but I, looking back on that, I made it too complicated. And as a result, the project stalled and I gave up on it. And I kicked myself for that. Um, I didn't follow through on the innovation. I had it at the start. I had the genesis of the idea in the beginning, but I didn't follow through on it. But I think a lot of it is is similar to what we talked about in our last podcast. You know, in order to innovate, you have to break out of your comfort zones. You have to get essentially uncomfortable. You have to be uncomfortable. Um, And you've got to not let fear paralyze you. Because I, I know when you're starting a business and, you know, you suddenly you have larger financial obligations than you normally do for a household budget. You know, it's a much bigger budget. And you've got perhaps employees that you're responsible for. Sometimes you just want to keep your nose to the grindstone and keep cranking away at the meat and potatoes of what you do. And, and granted, that is important, of course, but there has to be that fraction of your time that you're working on innovation. Sometimes people are fearful of what's on the other side, fearful of these new ideas. They feel they're going to take them off course. But if you have a good vision for what your company is all about, you can innovate within the scope of that vision and keep moving your company downfield. Pete Neal on the live stream, chiming in. The second issue is making your innovation the expected standard. Yeah, there you go, Pete. As you continuously improve the products and services that your company offers, that that becomes the new standard, that you're no longer resting on your old laurels. You're always lifting the bar, raising the bar for a new standard of excellence. And I agree with you 100%, Pete. Um, you know, one of the things that I do now in my business that I, has been very helpful for me for the last two years is I followed the advice of a this guy is a social media influencer. You may have heard of him. His name is Brendan Bruchard, and he's a sales coach, a motivator. He's like a bundle of positive energy. He's a very interesting guy. And I enjoy listening to some of his podcasts. Uh, sometimes it can be a little too thick with the optimism, but generally he is very, very good at what he does. And he has this concept called a battle board. And the battle board is, is essentially a, not just a list of goals, but it's taking your goals and calendarizing them and having specific objectives that you do every quarter and every month. And so, you know, while you're still working on your business, still fulfilling the needs of your customers, still paying the bills, still working with your employees and your suppliers and vendors, still doing the day to day of your business, you need to have additional objectives to help your company innovate. So I've I've adopted this battle board. And for me. It's a huge, like a large piece of paper, like an, one of those gigantic um, flip charts. And I've set it up into boxes, one for every month. There's 12 boxes on my battle board for 2021. And in each of those boxes, I have two major initiatives that I want to complete for my business. And it's extremely helpful because I look at it every single day. Now, Brandon Bouchard talks about this where for him, it's a giant piece of, you know, like butcher paper that's as long as the width of the room and has his team get organized and they got, 
you know, markers and they, they build this battle board and it becomes something that, again, stares them in the face every day. It's not like making a strategic plan and, and then tucking it away in a file cabinet or saving it on your computer. It's right in your face. Um, this has been extremely helpful for me to keep pushing me um, and, and to break it down into smaller, um, to, into smaller milestones that I can accomplish on a month-to-month basis. Because sometimes when we think of innovation, it's like a really big idea that's going to take a certain amount of time to get implemented. And the best way to accomplish that is to break it down into its individual component tasks and then to time slot them. And that's essentially what this battle board is all about. So that's something that I've done that has been extremely powerful for me. And the thing that I'm really trying to do is far, right now in terms of innovation is to productize more of what I sell and what I offer. And what I'm talking about here is really building more digital products. Now, granted, a lot of the products that I sell are already digital. And what do I mean by digital? There are things that I can deliver to a customer with an email and an attachment, <laughs> or it might be something I deliver to a customer with an FTP upload, because a lot of the products that I sell in my business today are mailing lists, which are, which are databases. So I'm moving data back and forth with my clients all the time. Those products are digitized. They're digital products. And the beauty of a digital product is something that you can build once and then sell many times. And then on top of it, it's not only something you can build once, but when you want to produce additional, um, you know, you want to essentially build inventory of that product. You just have to essentially use the copy function in your computer. You don't need to keep building them like in an assembly line for a physical product. Digital products are so quickly duplicatable. Um, So this is something that I'm really working on right now to take new categories of my business and begin to digitize them. And then the other beauty of digital products also is that it plays really nicely in the mobility of your business. That means you can run your business essentially from anywhere. You know, so I've talked about when I've gone on my sabbaticals and I work on my business, I'm still doing it because I'm delivering digital content, digital products to my clients. So I'm trying to build more of that. And I think that's one of the ways that I'm really working on innovation. So the first one, focus on you first. The second, continuously innovate. Um, and don't get caught in those comfort zones. And Because I did. I, I look back on that. And, you know, I, I my business is a marketing services business. And there were, you know, I didn't embrace um, digital marketing nearly as quickly as I should have. And because I was in my comfort zone, with doing a lot in the world of direct mail. And, and I, you know, I, I, as a result, I don't think my business grew to, to the level that it could have because of, I was resisting innovation. I was in a comfort zone and kept justifying my comfort zone. And so I think that's really important. Keep innovating, keep improving. The third lesson that I have that if I could go backwards in time and whisper in my ear, this is something I tell myself. Invest in areas of your business that give you a strategic and differentiating advantage. So what I mean by that is if you're going to make critical investments in your business, and an investment could be a lot of things, right? An investment 
normally we think of an investment is when you're buying equipment or maybe you're expanding your business. You know, maybe you're hiring more employees. Maybe you're taking on a new lease uh, of office space. Um, those are all different forms of investment in your business. But when you decide to make those strategic investments with with the re- the limited resources that you have, it's always best to make sure that they're in a category that is long-term strategic and at the same time helps differentiate you from your competitors. For example, investing in product development makes a ton of sense. Um, investing in going into the laboratory, which I've talked about, going in and doing that necessary R&D to analyze the market needs and to come up with new product ideas. That is a great category to do investment. Um, Now, one of the lessons that I learned is that I did some of that kind of investment, but I also did other kinds of investment where I was investing in people and in technology whose main focus was to help me save money because I I wanted, as part of my business, there are certain aspects of my business that I could easily outsource. I could easily hire a vendor to do a certain task within a project for my client. Uh, But because I was so focused on having control, because I was so focused on trying to maximize my gross profit margin on every sale, I brought in-house, I insourced a a lot of technology, office space, and people. I made investments in that that really didn't give me a strategic advantage, didn't really differentiate me. But what their, their primary focus, looking back on it, was to help me expand the profit of my business that was was to help me essentially save money. But that was the wrong approach. What I should have done is I, I should have really embraced outsourcing um, as the strategy. Now, I, I've since learned that lesson. I, I execute that today. But I remember looking back at that, my my focus was was n- not in the right place. Uh, my focus in this case was more defensive to try to save money, have more control rather than offensive to try to to grow and to build and to innovate. Um, so at the same time, you know, by by making those investments in the technology, the people in the office space, particularly the technology in the office space. In order to do that, you've got to sign contracts. You've, you've got to commit to, you know, at least three years, sometimes as long as five years. And as a result, you lose a lot of flexibility in your business, um, which is the downside of it as well. I mean, that's the beauty of outsourcing is it gives you tremendous freedom and nimbleness to maneuver your business as you see fit. Now, interestingly for me as a consultant, I give my clients that same freedom and nimbleness and how they work with me. Because remember, I told you part of my business, I sell products and services directly to customers. But another part of my business, I'm a consultant. I, I charge hourly for my work. And the consultancy work that I provide for my clients is almost like a 1099 employee. Not, I mean, not really an employee, but more of a contractor. Now, granted, I don't do it as a 1099. I just invoice them from my business. Um, but 
they have the flexibility in working with me that they're not in any sort of a long-term contract and they don't have to deal with all the complexity of human resources. And if for some reason I, they hired me as an employee and the whole situation went south, you know, it's not easy to fire employees, especially in California, where if you're a consultant, they can drop you at a, at a, at a drop of a dime, right? Well, as a small business, I think that's important that you have that kind of flexibility. But just as an aside, I'm giving that same kind of flexibility to my customers. Um, okay, so number one, focus on yourself first. You come first. Um, you have to fulfill the needs of your customers, of course, and your employees and everyone else involved. But the end result is it has to serve you because you're the business owner. And number two... Um, Life lesson here is to continuously innovate. Number three, invest in areas that give you a strategic and differentiating advantage. Number four, and this speaks to this notion of freedom and, and nimbleness. It's okay to change direction if it's necessary. It is. And if the business that you're pursuing isn't as fruitful as you thought, if the business you're pursuing is not working the way you had envisioned, you have permission to change. Now, I know, again, this sounds so fundamental, right? It sounds like, well, of course you have permission to change. And after all, isn't that the beauty of working for a small business that you can turn, you know, in an instant? You're not like um, a, a naval aircraft carrier that takes you a tremendous amount of time to reorient and change direction. You can change in an instant. But sometimes it's hard, right? Sometimes you've got not only commitments with customers and employees and suppliers, you've kind of got a machine already going. But sometimes as a business owner, we're so locked into our vision. And sometimes we don't want to give up on that vision. And I understand we, we have to, we have to, I'm not saying we should give up easy, I'm not saying that your vision is wrong. What I am saying is, is that it's okay to make adjustments to the plan. And you have the freedom to do that. So don't waste that freedom. That's the advantage of the whole thing. I mean, I remember for me, an example is I, I was doing a lot of business with Dish Network. You know who Dish Network is, right? They're like the satellite television company. And I had acquired just through our own hustle, hard work, marketing, a whole bunch of Dish Network dealers that were working for, or that were our customers. And we we're doing all kinds of work for them. But the work that we were doing for them became extremely, how can I say, they, they were these clients were very difficult and the nature of the way they work with their dish corporate and the way they got their co-op dollars and everything else, it was a very difficult process. But I remember just keeping my nose down and just trying to power through to fulfill what they needed, fulfill what I needed, but it was really a grind. And I finally had to just stop and I had to say, we can't continue with this because it was no longer serving our own needs. And I, I'll, I'll, I can go down into the weeds with you if you want on all the particulars. But the point is, is that if things aren't working, if things are like, you know, banging a square peg into a round hole, 
you have to be aware of that and you have to have give yourself the flexibility to make those adjustments. Now, for some people, that's obvious and they make those adjustments on the fly. But I know for me, sometimes that was hard because I didn't want to admit that I had failed on the original vision or I didn't want to admit that I failed in my original idea. Um, and you have to give your per- yourself permission to walk away from that. That's really important. Um, okay, so that's, that's number four. It's okay to change direction if your current direction is not fruitful. Number five, less is more. <laughs> this is kind of like I did a bunch of podcasts last summer about addition by subtractions. This is similar. Less is more. So always strive for simplicity in the kinds of things that you do in your business. Now, granted, not every business is simple. Some businesses are very complicated. Pete Neald and I have talked to a great degree about the work that he's doing in his business, and it's very complicated, <laughs> the, the scientific work that Pete does. Um, I, Mike Ryan has explained to me the work that he does as a, as a business manager in the grocery industry, and it's a very complicated business trying to manage all of that product. But we have to look for ways to keep it as simple as possible, to strive for simplicity at each step. Less is more. I personally, I tend to overcomplicate things. Like I said, that's one of the reasons why I think I failed in a particular category of innovation. I made it too hard and I set it up for failure. Always strive for the simplest way to solve that problem rather than the most grandiose, most complex, most beautiful outcome. Oftentimes, simplicity is elegant. Um, So embrace that idea. Um, Also in the category of less is more, people are your biggest expense and people are almost always your biggest headache. So with employees, it's critical that you, this is a great rule that I learned early on, hire slow and fire fast. Um, So when it comes time to hire someone, be extra careful um, and take your time. And if the candidate isn't right, don't force it and hire slow. But when you've got an employee that is not working for any reason, you know, work with them to a degree. But if you know they're not going to work out, you have to fire them fast. Less is more. And if we're embracing outsourcing as a strategic um it's a strategic advantage for your small business. Well, then you don't necessarily need all the employees because you can outsource more and therefore give yourself a great deal of flexibility in doing so. So less is more even with employees because the more employees you have, the more financial overhead you have and the less flexibility you have, particularly as a small business. And I'm, I'm, when I say small business, I mean like less than five employees, less than 10 employees. Um, every Every employee in that in that team has to be a 120% contributor. And if they aren't, then they need to be let go uh, and done so quickly. Uh, but people are definitely biggest expense, biggest headache. Um, the other part of this that's interesting and, and in the less is more category is I told you in the last podcast, one of the things that I'm trying to do in terms of breaking out of my comfort zone, having more pattern interrupt in my day, because I work from home 
live at home. I'm always at home, <laughs> um, especially during COVID. Because before COVID, I would go to my clients more frequently. I would work on site with my clients. With COVID, I had done very, very little of that. Well, I signed up with a company called Regis, R-E-G-U-S, and they have this co-working space where you can spend a, a modest monthly amount and you can use their office space and take advantage of all their services on an a la carte basis um, or even just kind of get basic services in your monthly deal. So I signed up for them yesterday and I've now visited their facilities yesterday and today, and I can't tell you how awesome it is. Um, I, it's cost me a hundred bucks a month and I get to go into office space that is class A office space. Like you're in the same office facilities where there's attorneys and, and high-end accountants. I mean, it's class A office space. For $100 a month, I have access to their whole lounge area, to cubicles if I need privacy. I have access to their Wi-Fi. I'm in a beautiful environment, often in a high-rise building with a view. It gives me a totally different perspective. It breaks me out of my comfort zone. And I, when I am there, I am so productive. I am not distracted by a lot of the things that I'm distracted with at home. And and it's just getting out of the house for me has been extremely valuable. If I had to go back and do it all over again, I would have embraced this model that Regis has. Now, I don't know if it existed 17 years ago, but, you know, 17 years ago, we went and got actual office space. Now, the first set of office space we got was similar to Regis in a way because we sublet office space up in the Poway Business Park from the San Diego Employers Association. And that worked pretty well. Eventually, then we committed to our own office space with its own long-term lease. But imagine now, and this is the beauty of the digital economy, is that you don't have to always work in the same office together. There's a lot of work you can do remotely from home. But in those days where you need to get together to share ideas, to have that energy, that innovative power that comes from getting people together together. This model with Regis gives you that flexibility where you can get together and, and work cooperatively or work independently and do so in a really nice office space. You know, one of the beauties of Starbucks is that people refer to it as the third space, right? You got your home, your office, and Starbucks is that third place to meet. But Starbucks is often a difficult place to really conduct business. I mean, you can have a conversation with someone, but... There's so many distractions and so many people looking over your shoulder um, or, or eavesdropping on your discussion. Um, going to this Regis um, was fantastic for me. So yesterday I was in a high rise office space in Mission Valley. I think I worked there for about three hours and um, it was great. I mean, this is funny is that for the longest time I was just so, so happy to work from home and not have to commute. Now it's the opposite. I missed it. I miss being in a professional working environment. I miss being around other people that just, even if I'm not necessarily working with them, just the energy of being around all these other people was extremely powerful to me. And so, um, gosh, if, if this Regis existed back then, I, my approach would have been very differently because now you're only using office space on a month to month basis. 
You're only using office space in proportion to the number of employees you have. So it's extremely flexible and so inexpensive. I mean, just a crazy example is that I was in an office building today in Escondido, kind of right up by the Mercedes of Escondido, right off the 15th freeway in a really nice class A office. And then, you know, I'm taking care of business, doing my work. And then it was time to go to the bathroom. Okay. The bathrooms are just really nice. I mean, really nice. Um, and so I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is awesome. I feel like I'm taking care of myself. I'm treating myself to, to give me the opportunity to have exciting surroundings that are helpful for my own psyche, that help me get out of my comfort zone, that push me to be innovative, push me to be extra productive. And so I'm just all over it. I've only done it two days. Um, I don't know if I'm going to do this every day, but I'm going to do it a lot. And I'm really excited about it. So this is an example of less is more because the alternative, again, if you're really building your business is to have your own office space. But in today's world, you don't necessarily need to do that. Um, Yeah. So uh, less is more. Always strive for simplicity. That's my fifth lesson. Moving on, I've got two more. And I think these are important too. So my sixth lesson, if, if I had to, again, go back in time, um, get in the, the DeLorean with, uh, with uh, Michael J. Fox and go back in time and I could talk to myself. I mean, these are the things I would tell myself. And the sixth one is, is to build systems that are repeatable. So what, I, what do I mean by that? Well, in my, my, my business, in marketing services, it seems that for a lot of my clients, every deal is custom. Every deal is a completely new project. And sure, there are similarities and we can build some rhythm in some systems that are repeatable. But having a business model, and the one that I always really admire, is In-N-Out Burger. I mean... Say what you will about the company and the quality of their food, and we can have a debate on the best burger around. But In-N-Out Burger to me is a remarkable company because their menu never changes. I mean, you go to any other fast food restaurant like Jack in a Box has got new menu items like every month. McDonald's has their you know their uh, um, Shamrock Shakes, which I which I love. They have other kinds of um, seasonal things at McDonald's. And again, I'm using fast food as a stupid example, but um, In-N-Out Burger never changes. They have the same menu all the time. Now, granted, they have the secret menu, which is kind of a whole separate thing, which, by the way, I think is great marketing to have the secret menu because it creates that word of mouth and that that sort of cult-like um, customer loyalty, which I think is a fantastic marketing strategy. But just the menu that exists when you when you walk in to an In-N-Out Burger or you walk or you do a drive-through, it's always the same. And what's the beauty of that is that it's easier to train your employees because it's always the same, and you have a certain standard for quality that you have certain checkpoints for quality at every step of the way, you've built a system that produces an outstanding product every single time that it's delivered. And that system gives you that advantage for, for hiring 
and training new employees. It gives you an advantage with these repeatable systems to have a great quality um, uh, quality control measurement system to manage that process. And as a business owner, it gives you the opportunity that once you've built that system, that you can now work on your business rather than in your business. So let me explain what that means. And some of you may already get this, but when you're working in your business, you're involved in the minutia. You're working on the day-to-day. You're working on delivering products and services for customers. You're working on paying the bills. You're working on the day-to-day aspects of being in your business. Working on your business, on the other hand, is when you rise above the day-to-day, when you are actually making longer-term strategic decisions about your business uh, in terms of you know, product offerings, in terms of um, new hires, in terms of growth opportunities, management of financials, and strategic management of financials. When, you have, when you're able to get into that position of working on your business is when you really take power as an entrepreneur. But if your business is so complicated or so custom or so difficult to make repeatable, then you're always going to be working in your business and you're almost always going to be just fighting amongst the weeds, down in the weeds. You won't be able to see the forest through the trees, as they say. So, um, and then besides, if, if your business gets to a point and I'm talking here, you know, again, for a service oriented business, but it really actually provides the same rules apply for product uh, businesses, but particularly for service oriented businesses. The systems need to be repeatable because when it comes time to sell the business, which hopefully is everyone's goal, if you have those built in processes, those systems, that make the production or the operations of your business repeatable, disciplined, and bulletproof. It makes it so much easier to sell your business and you'll get a much greater dollar value for it because of those, those disciplines that you've built into it. Um, so, you know, I've, I've kind of learned this the hard way because with my business, I've done so much custom work for co- clients, which is great, you know, and it pays well but it makes it just that much harder to make it repeatable. Okay. Um, and then the last one, and this is kind of like the first one, the first one I said, um, the first one I said, you know, it, it, it has to be valuable to you. You come first. This last one, number seven is trust your gut. Trust your gut, man. I'll tell you what. I mean, because when you're running your own business, you have your fingers, again, in so many different aspects of the company. Um, In management of financials, management of employees, management of suppliers and vendors, management of customers and operations and products and services delivery, management of a lot of things, strategic planning, sales and marketing. You're involved in everything. It's hard to really know every single thing about every aspect of your business. But a lot of times you'll get into a situation and you don't know enough, 
But what you do know is that your spidey senses are tingling, right? To use a Peter Parker reference, um, your spidey senses are tingling. Your intuition is talking to you and telling you that that might be a good idea or that might be a bad idea. Um, always listen to your gut and be aware. Have that awareness about what your gut is telling you because your gut or really your subconscious that subconscious often knows more than your conscious mind actually understands because your subconscious is always working in the background. Your subconscious is processing information. I mean, it's, that's what's activated when you're dreaming at night is a lot of your subconscious really drives a lot of that. Always listen to your gut and, and you'd be surprised how often your gut tells you the truth. I mean, one really two examples, both good and bad. There was the 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 good example is I remember in my business, I was considering expanding into a new set of products and services, but it would have required an investment in a certain, you know, high-end software package to make this whole thing work. And it wasn't trivial. I mean, it was like a couple hundred thousand dollars. And I was thinking about it and, and part of me said, you know, this makes sense. This is kind of the direction that I want to take this business. But my spidey senses were tingling and telling me that, no, it didn't make sense. Because I knew that going into that space, it was going to require a, a learning curve. It was going to require training for my employees. It was going to require a change in how we went to market and how we sold and the kind of customers we brought in. It was a huge commitment, a huge change for the business. And sure, there was plenty of upside, but I was thinking of the downside because I was making this large of a financial commitment. You can't get into it four months and say, ah, I don't want to do this anymore. You can't do that. And I remember one of my employees, one of my salespeople was adamant telling me how important this was to, to make this investment. And I remember looking at him and saying, you know what? You are not the one making the investment. I am. And while I understand your enthusiasm for the idea, and, and, and granted, I share some of that enthusiasm, I just know this isn't right. And anyways, I ended up saying no to that. And then about nine months later is when the Great Recession really kicked into gear. And I'm happy that I didn't make that financial commitment because it would have further burden me through, you know, a difficult stretch of about two or three years. So I'm thankful for that. Now, on the opposite side, one where my spidey senses were talking to me, but I ignored them. And this was a case where it was in the early to mid 2000s and you know, again, my, my marketing services business, especially back then, was almost all direct mail marketing. Email marketing was really be starting to become a thing. Um, email marketing, by the way, is still an outstanding uh, marketing channel where a lot of companies are able to build great loyalty with customers, drive a lot of revenue with, with ethical opt-in email marketing. And granted, there's still there's there's the whole dark side of email marketing with um, with spammers and, and all of that. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about high quality, ethical email marketing, all opt in. 
where companies are, you know, build loyalty programs and, and share information on new products and services and sales and coupons and all kinds of things. Well, we were doing a lot of that um, back in the day in direct mail. I've been doing it in direct mail really since the 90s, in the early 90s. And then email came along and I was kind of suspicious. I didn't really embrace it. And a friend of mine who owned a internet, essentially a web development company, he was talking about wanting to get into, into email marketing. And he asked me to help him and to work with him to do it. And I was kind of hesitant. I remember thinking about it and I was still, my instinct was telling me that's a good idea. This is a growth opportunity. It's new technology. But my, my conscious mind was over-rationalizing it. My conscious mind was telling myself, well, no, I, I'm, I, I want, I'm, I want to stick to what I'm doing, which was more in the direct mail world. I want to stick into this world where I understand it. Again, I was falling into my comfort zone and I was rationalizing why my status quo was better than the innovative opportunity that was presented to me. And I eventually just didn't follow through with my friend. And this friend of mine, he and I went to college together. Well, he ended up embracing email marketing in his internet business, made it very successful, grew his business tremendously to the point that he sold his business many years later and now is extraordinarily wealthy and now um, is one of the leading angel investors here in San Diego County helping new startups get their businesses off the ground. Um, he has been, I mean, he's a great guy. I tip my hat to him. He's done great work, but he's been extremely successful. And that's when I look back on and say, you know, that was a missed opportunity that I didn't trust my gut. My gut was telling me it was a good idea, but my, my mind, my so-called objective, rational mind talked myself out of it. So if I had been more aware of my gut, I should have trusted it more. So trust your gut. So those are the seven. Um, so what do we got here? We've got number one is focus on you first. Number two, continuously innovate. Number three, invest in areas that give you a strategic and differentiating advantage. Number four, it's okay to change direction if the current direction is not fruitful. Number five, less is more. This is the whole simplicity, the whole addition by subtraction. Number six, build systems that are repeatable. And number seven is to trust your gut. Now, by no means is this the ultimate top seven things every business should do. This is just what I've learned. This is just if I had to go back in time and talk to myself, these are things I would have told myself. These are the seven lessons that I wish I were taught. And some of these I was taught them, but I ignored them. Or I just push them aside. I knew a lot of this already. Again, my gut told me, but sometimes I didn't trust my gut. And sometimes I fell into comfort zones. I fell into the trap of comfort zones. Sometimes I relied too much on what I already know rather than challenging myself to learn new things. And I think it, eventually, it ultimately it hurt me. 
I think they were, I could have been far more successful. Now, granted, I'm not complaining. I'm doing very well right now already. Uh, my business is much more profitable than it's ever been. I'm, I'm independent. I control my hours, my time. I do work for clients um, on hourly basis. I do work for clients selling products and selling services. I'm very busy and I enjoy my work. But, you know, there, I could be better and there are things I could have learned. Pete Neal says, okay, there should be a number eight, <laughs> which would wrap back around to number one, and that would be to make your work your passion. Yeah, that's a good point. Looking at what I'm doing now, uh, well, let, let me say this, looking backwards in time, the work that I had been providing for my clients wasn't necessarily what I was passionate about. It was what I was good at, but not necessarily passionate about. There was a difference. Um, it's hard to find work that you are truly passionate about. And people say that, you know, follow your dreams and the money will follow. And there's, there's some truth to that. But there is also the pragmatic, pragmatic approach that you got to do what you're good at and so you can make money and pay the bills and, and live a comfortable life. But there is a happy medium there. And if you are able to discover your passion, then by all means, pursue it, especially if you can monetize it. Now, for me, you know, I told you earlier how there were all these phases of my business from moonlighting to getting started to growth period to the downsizing of the Great Recession to, you know, an, a time of wandering in the wilderness to a time of recovery and transformation of my business into more consultant work. Looking forward for me, I see myself doing a lot more with this, with John Riley Project, which is a way that I think I can integrate the lessons that I've learned in my business and share them with the audience here as part of this project. But at the same time, I can create a whole new set of products and services that can come from this that are complementary to the work that I'm already doing in my business. So for me, I think I have an opportunity now in the final chapters, uh, chapters of, my, of my working years to really begin to reposition the way my business works and to more, more properly integrate it with my own passion. Because I'll tell you what, since I've been doing this podcast since 2018, I love doing this. I love meeting new people and discussing new ideas. And I love sharing my thoughts and opinions and educating people, inspiring people. In some cases, entertaining people. I love doing this. It's a lot of fun. And it's very fulfilling, very rewarding. In many ways, I feel like I'm starting to discover a little bit of what my passion is, but it's a question of how do you monetize it? How do you integrate it with what you're doing in your current career? And I think, Pete, to your point, I, I think I'm going to discover that there might be an opportunity for me there to really do as you said, is to make your work your passion. So that's kind of where I'm headed with this. And I'm, I'm excited about it. I think there's, there's opportunity to, to do more in this space, more education, education about business, education about marketing, 
technical education, about technologies, about different types of marketing, different technologies that drive marketing. There's a lot of knowledge that I have that I can, I can teach people. But I think in the world of self-improvement, there's a lot I can teach people as well. There's a lot of life lessons I've learned along the way that I can share that I think could be very valuable. And I think if I integrate all of those into a model that in some ways has some overlap with my business, in other ways, my business complements the growth of these other particular categories, I think there's an opportunity to really productize a lot of the things that I know, a lot of my knowledge, and be able to transform that knowledge into digital products that can be sold over and over again. I think there's, there's possibility there. That's what I'm really trying to reorient myself towards. So anyways, I, as an entrepreneur, I've learned a ton. I would never, never not do, I, I would never have stayed in that middle management job that I had in the 90s and up until 2004. Um, I wouldn't have, I'm happy I left that world. Of course, as an entrepreneur, I learned a ton, um, you know, kind of the, 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 what do they call that? The, uh, the road of hard knocks, you know, you learn some lessons along the way. Um, there are things that I would do differently. I, I think I probably would have seeked out, I should have added this on this list. I would have seeked out mentors that I think could have guided me. I, I found some mentors along the way, but I didn't really utilize them as much as I could have. And I didn't really seek out the best mentors. I should have done that. There are a lot of things I learned along the way that I would do differently, but I'm happy where I am now because I've learned so much. Um, and I can't encourage it enough for people. If you ever considered starting your own business, go for it, man. I mean, you only live once YOLO and it's risky. It's scary at times, but it is extremely rewarding and fulfilling. You have control over your work-life balance. You decide when you work. And if you have family obligations, you can integrate your family life with your work life way more effectively than you can by commuting 35 minutes in each direction and working in an office somewhere. Um, and at the same time, you have an opportunity, as Pete said, to make your work your passion. You have an opportunity to do what you love if you do it right. So I, I can't encourage it enough. Now, I do have a closing quote. And again, I welcome your thoughts and opinions. And Pete and Mike, thanks for chiming in on the live stream. This is a great quote. And I saw it this morning. And I saw it on Twitter. And I can't remember the person that said it. It wasn't a famous person. It was just a guy. But it was really good. And it really hit me hard. And he said, what our culture calls safe is taking out $100,000 in student loans to get a degree that doesn't guarantee a job. That's considered safe in today's world. But what our culture calls risky, what, what our culture believes is risky, is spending a couple of thousand dollars experimenting with an online business. Now, think about that. I, now, I would never discourage anyone from going to college. I went to college, my children... One of them has graduated. The other one is still in college. Going to college is important, not just because of 
the lessons you learn in the classroom, but the lessons you learn in life. And frankly, for the people you meet along the way, they become important contacts as your career begins to take off. Going to college is is important. I would never tell someone not to go. And I know that's trendy for some people to say, don't go to college. It's a waste of money. I don't think it is. Um, But it's expensive as hell. And you've got to be careful on where you go. But the point of all this I'm trying to get to is that experimenting with an online business is something that anyone can do. And in today's world, the possibilities for entrepreneurs to experiment in an online business, even if you have a 40-hour-a-week day job, those possibilities exist now because of the Internet. These, these opportunities didn't exist 17 years ago when I started my business. They definitely didn't exist 37 or 27 years ago in the early 90s. Didn't exist at all. But now, more than ever, it is so much easy to go in and start your own business. And it can be just a side hustle. It can be a passion project. It can be extra money to supplement your, exi- your already existing job. But it could turn into something much more special than that, where you are now in charge of your own destiny. Now you are the boss. Rather than working for the man, now you are the man or the woman. You're the one in charge. And you that make, can make decisions about the direction of the business, you are in control. And you have an opportunity to experience much greater upside in income opportunities than you ever would as an employee for a particular company. And when, the, when, the, when your company does really well, then you do really well. Um, so, I, again, I, I just I think, you know, we talk about life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Being a business owner is consistent with that. Being a business owner is consistent with liberty, with independence, with taking control of your own life. Being your own business owner is not for everybody, though. Some people don't want to do that. My, more power to you. But I would say if you ever considered it, if it's ever even been a fleeting thought in your mind, pursue it. Mostly because you can do it now and you can do it for virtually very little money at all to get started. And you'd be surprised at what you can do. And it could be just as easy as taking your own skill set that you have learned on the job for the last 10, 20, 30 years, and then just setting up at a company offering those exact same services. But instead of selling it to your employer, you're selling it directly to the business who becomes your customer. Or maybe you have a bigger idea, a bigger idea for a technology or of a product or an innovative service you want to bring to market. And you want to get that started, but it's going to require investment. There's a lot of money being thrown around now in the investment world. A lot of small businesses that are incubating and building and growing because of, like my friend, who's an angel investor. There's tremendous opportunity out there. Um, you're not stuck. I, in our last podcast, we talked about people being stuck in a crappy job. You're not stuck. You can climb out of it. And one way to do it is to start your own company. And I, I can't encourage it enough. Entrepreneurship is powerful. And 
there's tremendous upside. It does have risk, but there's, there's risk anywhere you go. There's risk being an employee for a company who can decide to lay people off in an instant. So take control of your life and being an entrepreneur is one way. Oh, Pete has more to offer here. What does he say? The only reason I went to college was after the Navy and it was to use the GI Bill to the max. Good for you, Pete. Um, The GI Bill, I think, is a great program because not only does it encourage education, not only does it give people an opportunity to go to college that otherwise maybe wouldn't have had that opportunity, it's a great benefit. Really, it's a, a great benefit that the government can use to encourage people to enlist in the armed forces besides paying them and all the things they learn on the job. Um, like a, a good friend of mine in college, he was in my fraternity at UC San Diego, and he ended up going into the Navy after college, and he was able to go to medical school through the Navy. And then after he completed his medical degree, he had to serve in the Navy for like an additional eight years or 10 years, something like that. It was part of his commitment. It was kind of like a GI Bill, but he had to make a bigger commitment on the back end. But for some other people, you know, this opens doors to giving them possibilities for getting a degree in any particular discipline. So good for you, Pete. Um, I've often likened the GI Bill. I know when I bring this up, it's kind of tweaks some people. I often liken the GI Bill to a school voucher program where the GI Bill gives essentially um, veterans a voucher that they could use at any college, private, public, religious, and they can use that voucher to pay for all or part of their college education. It is just like a school voucher, but it's offered actually in, in, in the form of a, a benefit for a worker, a benefit for a person who served in the military. And again, I think it's a great program, but I, I, I just wish people would see it as a voucher plan because I, I'm a big proponent of school vouchers for K through 12. And, um, I'm a bit of a tangent, but at any rate, Pete, I'm glad you went to college. Good for you. And the GI Bill helped you do that. Okay. Um, All right. We're a little over an hour. Um, This is the John Riley Project. It's episode number 246. We're closing in on 250. Hopefully, it'll be there in the next couple of weeks. But thanks for joining me. Um, Thanks for listening and watching. Happy to share some of my own learnings along the way as an entrepreneur. We'll get back to more current news, current events, probably in some of our future podcasts. But uh, thanks for joining me. Anyway, friends, have a great day and we'll see you later. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor, subscribe and then share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let's continue the conversation on social media. Go to connectwithjohnny.com to get links to our social media content, audio podcast platforms, and to sign up for our mailing list. To be a guest, read my blog, or get more information, please visit johnreillyproject.com to get started.